0: Hello, I'm Moses, I'm Carrie, and I'm Ryan. Welcome to the MenoCast. Today on our podcast, we're talking to three members of a working group who have given seven calls of climate action to our nationwide church. We're going to talk about the climate crisis. What kind of emergency are we actually in? What role do Christians and the church have in addressing this situation? And what do we do when we're not all on the same page? Thanks for joining us. Carrie and Ryan, I hope you are both doing well and I'm excited that we get to do another episode here together. You know, mm-hmm. I want to take you um I want to take you back to September 27, 2019. Do you remember that day? No. September 27, 2019. This is like pre-pandemic, right? Like this was uh you know, it's hard even for me to remember this, but that was the day of the global strike for climate action. Um, I, I don't know if they had events going on where you are, um, but in Winnipeg, they had a big one. And um, there was a, you know a, a huge march, a huge rally at our legislative building. Um, and myself and some people from our church and p- people we knew, um, we attended it. And it was really inspiring for me to be part of that and, and really inspiring to see how many young people were showing up and we're calling on us. I, I'm putting myself in the older person category a little bit here, but you know, younger people, high school students, uh, elementary school students were showing up, calling for change when it comes to climate action. Um, I, I think in in Winnipeg there were over twelve thousand people who were present, and there was a prayer service beforehand, and then there was a big rally at the legislative building, and then there was also a march. Um, was did that happen at all for you guys? Do you remember that, or maybe seeing that on the news way back in twenty nineteen?
1: Yeah, you've peaked my memory, Moses. Yes, I did go, and I did go with my church. Um, a few of my youth got permission. that was a school like a, a school day, right? It yeah. Was like a weekday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a number of my youth got permission to skip class to come join us. So that was like a really neat. Um, and we were on Parliament Hill. Yeah. And yeah, it was a very powerful. I made a really cool sign out of recycled things. Mm. I felt very yeah.
0: proud of it. <laughs> what about in Lethbridge? Was there anything there? Yeah,
2: there was a, a small, I mean, if, if I'm remembering right, it's really hard to remember anything pre-pandemic right now, but um, mm. it would be a much more muted kind of affair here. Uh, we're a smaller center and um, we're an oil country as well. So uh, it's 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 a bit different to feel in Alberta, but there's definitely something, and it was it was well attended for Lethbridge anyways.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that stood out to me There, the the, at the prayer service, there was this song that a choir sang. There are a whole bunch of different Mm. churches represented, and this choir sang a song um, with the words, Which Side Are You On? Uh, and it was almost like a a song of challenge to everyone present there, not only like on a you know social, political kind of level, but almost like a spiritual level. That what we was being engaged in had a spiritual side to it. Um, and being on the, you know, the side of creation, being on the side of fellow neighbors, being on the side of God, like was something that they were getting at maybe. Um, but I, I talked to a bunch of people who were there and I asked them, like, why are you showing up to this? And, and people had reasons, right? They, well, they came because they care. They came because they have hope or that the, the earth needs to be taken care of or they care about their future. You know, some people thought this was the Christian duty to show up, to be present to what's going on uh, and that we need to be part of the change and and caring for neighbors and, and all of that. So, you know, it was a very um, inspiring event. Um, But, you know, after that we're still in a climate crisis or at least that's what we're told Uh, Carrie and Ryan, like from your context, from your perspective, like what do you think is going on? What, what is the issue? Is there, is there a disconnect within our churches or society that we need to deal with?
1: You first Ryan <laughs> uh,
2: um, I don't know about the word disconnect. I think it's it's a matter of um, people do care passionately about about creation, if, certainly in my church uh, the the question often becomes how do we balance uh, competing interests and and how do we um, how do we weigh priorities in responsible ways? Um, but I think. Yeah, I think that there is certainly broad acceptance of the of the fact that there's that we're we're in a, we're in a dire situation here, and, and, and action needs to be taken. Um, the, the disconnect often comes when people maybe feel helpless, they don't know what to do, they feel like it's too big of a problem, that their efforts are pretty tiny, and that that it doesn't really matter in the end. Um, and uh, so there's all kinds of factors more that I'm not even mentioning, but uh, it's yeah that might account for some of the disconnect. But I think broadly speaking, there's 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 large buy-in certainly Mm. in our church
0: yeah
1: yeah it's a tough one right because we we read these things we know them to be true we believe in science we love science but we're not doing enough like maybe there is a sense of laziness on my behalf too of just it's so easy to go on like you have um and when Mm. the effects you're seeing outside your door you know i i don't have a wildfire outside my door i don't have a flood outside my door i have the Rideau Canal, which isn't as frozen for as many days as it used to be, right? Like for my city, that's one thing where we see a change. Um, and so I don't know, we need a kick in the pants or something? Like, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I'm sure we do need a kick in the pants. We Our church has a group called OMG, the Ottawa Midnight Greens group. OMG. They, yeah, we very much love <laughs> nice. it. They do some good work. They do lots of good work and and talk about electric vehicles and, and things we can do on that front. So I appreciate that insight into like practical things we can do and we can start with. But I think we need to go beyond that. But we're just not. And so like where, what is that wall? What is that barrier that's stopping us?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about kicking the pants. So last year, there's this group that, that got formed within Mennonite Church Canada. Like, uh, as far as I know, just a group of people from across our nationwide church coming together to really almost give us a bit of a nudge or uh, a more of a harsher kick in the pants to, to get moving on some of this stuff. I, I don't know if you uh, have seen it or followed along, but the, the, the group of the seven calls to climate action, um, has really put forward some, some concrete um, ideas and, and plans almost, um, I don't know if demands is the right word, uh, to the church to take those steps that we maybe have just been lazy to take or have been unsure of. And so we have the privilege today to talk to three of the members who are part of the group. Not all of them were there when it started, but they're on there now, which is which is great. And we really appreciate the chance to have this conversation about climate change and about what this looks like within the Mennonite Church in Canada and what it is that we can do. So, we've never had three guests on before on this podcast, so this will be fun. I want to introduce them to us. First of all, we have Mark Bigland Pritchard, who is the Migration and Resettlement Coordinator for MCC Saskatchewan. Um, and Mark has also uh, been involved in sustainable energy consulting for a while as an applied physicist and so he's got lots of insight into that as well. Uh, He's part of the Backyard Church that meets in Saskatoon. We're also joined by Katie gertsen Shurd. She's a part of the Waterloo North Mennonite Church and is a student at the University of Waterloo. Lastly we're also joined by Nelson Lee who is um, part of the Chinatown Peace Church in Vancouver and uh, is also the founder of Green Sky Sustainability, which works uh, on climate action. So I want to give a big welcome to the three of you, and thank you for joining us uh, and being part of this conversation. You know, I I think the first question that, that we need to ask, and... I don't know if you've ever had this conversation, but maybe like at the beginning of our podcast when you start talking about the weather and you're talking, especially in Canada, you know, you talk about winter and people are sick of the cold and and, and then someone will say like, thank you for climate change. (laughs) Finally, it's getting warmer or, you know, kind of just saying almost as a joke or as like, oh, yes, finally, we're getting warmer weather. Why would we be mad about climate change? Um, and, and I don't know, if you know, often people just say that as a joke. Sometimes people are, um, you know, might be making light of it or don't understand exactly what's happening. And so maybe you could give us a quick synopsis. I, I don't know which one of you would like to s- say this, but when you think about what's actually happening, what the emergency is that we're in, how would you describe that to someone who might not have been following along with what's happening? Go ahead, Nelson.
3: OK, well, I'll say it's a matter of extremes and unpredictability. So if you want that, then all ask for climate change. But if you don't like that, if you like a little bit more calm and predictability, then maybe maybe you should do something about it.
2: Well, Nelson, I have to jump in right there because I'm from Southern Alberta and I'm, I'm only in my 40s. But my my experience of weather my entire life has been one of extremes and unpredictability. So um, maybe you could expand upon that just a little bit, um, um, at least take it to a macro level, because I could easily imagine someone in, in my area saying, well, that doesn't, that,
3: that's just normal for us here. Well, I was born and raised in Lethbridge, so I know what you're talking okay. about. Okay, yeah. Yes. Well, how about, how about temperatures in BC, mountainous BC, southern BC, being higher than they've ever been in Las Vegas, or sorry, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona? highest phoenix arizona historically never been as warm as linton bc in the heat dome that killed 700 people in bc across bc that, that's the kind of extreme I'm, I'm not talking about the you know the lethbridge yeah. albert extreme yeah. uh the bigger ones and then uh you know funny funny thing um you might get uh floods in the summer where you're not expecting it or or uh, um, droughts uh maybe even the winter. So the kind of extreme that, that our farming practices are not used to that our buildings are not used to um, and everything we're not used to I, it, and and of course particularly the, the poor people who rely on farming and whatnot who are suffering so badly so that kind of
4: extreme that's
3: really making it hard to survive even
0: and mark what about from your
4: perspective yeah if i can add to that i mean if if you look at somewhere like the horn of africa where in the um, the desert areas, or the, the low rainfall areas are there anyway, I mean, they are used to droughts every few years, but it's not every 10 years now, it's every six years, it's going to be every five years, every four years. You know, how can a, a pastoralist in Somalia or a farmer in Ethiopia cope with that amount of pressure on them, uh, given that, you know, they don't have the resources behind them that people in Lethbridge or where I live in Saskatchewan have. Uh, so, I mean, people in Horde of Africa, they've had to face those droughts, but they've also had to face the flash floods that come after the droughts. And they've also had to, to face the locust invasions, which have happened because of unusual um, cyclones that have hit the Arabian Peninsula, provided just the right conditions for uh, those locusts to to breed in vast numbers. So, you know, I mean, Think about our our international brothers and sisters as well.
0: And Katie, how about for you? How do you see this emergency?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to understanding the science and how this is going to affect people living in different places, there's lots of um, information out there for people to take a look at. Um, And something I think really important to remember about climate change is this is um, a global thing. So how are region is affected is going to be different than other places in the world um but we are still all connected and so um we are going to see ripple effects of um both um climate changes and how that changes so many aspects of our life and i think as people living um in relatively um disconnected from the day-to-day effects of, um, the earth, um, and climate, it can sometimes be, um, hard to really connect how much humanity depends on, um, the earth. (laughs) We depend on the earth for everything. And so, understanding that the earth is in crisis and is going through some intense changes is going to affect us and depending on where we are we might have more of a buffer to that impact but nonetheless we are still all affected by
0: it Mm. so you know that that's interesting we're all affected by it and and we might see certain effects like just say for myself right i'm in winnipeg I meet, um, may see certain effects maybe when it comes to certain extremes of weather. But when it comes down to it, I, I have a, a house, I have a car, um, the tank is usually full. You know, like I, I don't feel the effects as much as other people would. So just take us into that. Like, who is it that bears the brunt of this emergency?
4: It's the people that bear the brunt of everything. Except they having to bear it worse. It's it's the most vulnerable in the world.
5: Yeah, I think you said that beautifully, Mark. Um, we we see the people in our world who bear the brunt of a lot of um, systems of of violence, and and this is another way that the impacts of this are going to be felt most um, by the poorest, um, by countries, people in countries who. Um, have less ability to buffer themselves from um, the effects of this. Um, It's across racial lines. It's across gendered lines. Um, It plays into so many of um, the social inequalities that we already see in our world.
3: And, And to add to that, then, it's the greatest injustice, the climate emergency, because it's the rich who've basically caused it. And so... Uh, but the poor bear the brunt of it. It's a terrible injustice.
1: I'm curious, at what point would you envision that it will start to affect the rich? Well,
3: I I mean, it it does affect them, but they have what's called adaptive capacity, if you use a technical term. Mm -hmm. They have money or insurance or other resources, provided their life is spared. uh, They can go to their island or they can fly away or they can build a new place or whatever. Um, Yeah, they're they're not going to really... They have resilience, right? They're not gonna suffer that much. But when all your money's gone, what do you do? You have no food or your land produces zero crops. What do you do? And, um,
2: I'm from Alberta here. So I'll play the, 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 the devil's advocate just for a second here. And, and I'm gonna throw an argument by you that I've, that I've been asked myself um, or a question. So um, it's the poor that bear the brunt of climate change. Here in Alberta, we have um, many impoverished indigenous bands up north who are 100 percent? Not 100 percent. They're largely in favor of um, things like pipelines and economic development that, are, that that some some chiefs of the bands are saying are lifting our people out of poverty. Um, so, what would you say uh, to to a to a leader who, who asked you that kind of a question?
3: Well, yeah, I and I appreciate that. I think they should have um, economic development, but there there are other ways to get it, and and right now. Other forms of energy, like solar and and wind and battery storage, Um, these technologies are coming together. They're far cleaner. They're not perfect, but far cleaner and less impactful than, say, oil and gas um, operations and development. So, yeah, there's an alternative now. Maybe, Maybe 20 years ago, that wasn't true. Even 10 years ago, perhaps, it wasn't true. It is true now, and it's getting cheaper now. We know what to do and not doing it what is it what does James so the person who knows what to do and does not do it for him it is sin
4: yeah. and I mean to add to that you know there are there is leadership in the north of Alberta in actually putting solar panels into their reserves and it's come from the grassroots it's not come from the chiefs particularly to some extent it has I mean um Chief Adam up at, at um, Athabasca has has been involved in it but it's it 's been pressure from the ordinary indigenous activists you know ordinary grassroots people who have got active um, that that 's made this happen uh, it 's been ordinary indigenous people who have got active that have been blocking pipelines it's you know to to present it as oh, the indigenous people want these pipelines i think is misleading um because if it's coming from the chiefs who are, you know, they're only concerned that they're, they're essentially government employees, given the way that they're funded. Um, and they're stuck in this bind where you know, we have been given a Hobson's choice. Either we go ahead with this project that's going to happen anyway, whether we like it or not, and we get a little bit of money out of it, or we reject it and we're impoverished.
5: And I think one of the um, important things to remember when thinking about climate action is you're also holding climate justice at the, at the forefront of what we're talking about. And so we want to make proactive um, actions in addressing the climate crisis that can hold cl- um, justice and climate justice at the forefront so that the solutions to this climate emergency are also solutions to the injustice Mm. um, that exists. So, you know, and that was one of the things that reading these seven calls, um, I felt um, really called to by them, right, is that they're addressing um, the injustice that is part of the climate emergency, Mm -hmm. right? So it's looking at supporting Indigenous land defenders and it's also looking at supporting climate refugees and people internally displaced um, Mm -hmm. by climate Mm -hmm. crises.
0: Yeah, we want to get into those seven calls and just talk a bit about what they are and what this group is. But just before we do that, I'm curious, just talking generally about the climate crisis, we've talked about the climate crisis, a bit about the injustice. Um, And I think for many people, it's hard for us to put a finger on you know, who is to blame for this injustice, because maybe inevitably we find ourselves in the answer. Um, So, you know, how, when talking with people about an issue this big, how would you describe, like, who's to blame? Like, what's behind this? What is actually causing the emergency that we're in? And then the second part of that question, like, what is the way out? What is the, in what way do we actually work towards
4: justice? I think we have to think in terms of structural sin here in not just, you know, there is individual sin, certainly. Um, there is individual sin in those people in the oil corporations that deliberately deceived the public for decades about this crisis. Uh, there is individual sin in, again, people in, in the oil industry who have been continuing to... Uh, to spin things to make it you know, easier for government to give them subsidies or to push a pipeline through that can't really be justified, those types of things. Um, but even that is bound by the requirements of the corporation, the requirements of the market that they are in, You know, what happens to them if, if their corporation doesn't thrive or at least if it doesn't survive. Um, But there's something behind that. And I think it's the um, certainly as as far as North America is concerned. And and, I mean, I speak as a European, I I, I would say parallel things about um, where I come from in Europe. The foundation on which this country is built was the doctrine of discovery. It's, you know, it's colonialism. It's uh, we have the right to grab what we want to grab. Whoever's here. um, And, you know, they don't really matter. So, I mean, there's that anti-Indigenous thing, but that comes from something deeper, which is that sort of extractive um, approach that, yes, let's just grab more and more and more, which is so fundamentally at odds, I think, with scripture, with the the Genesis 2 requirement to care for and protect the the land, to that Genesis 2 recognition that you, we are actually part of creation. That Adam comes from Adama, dirt from dirt. You, know, human being from the earth, um, and it's it's fundamentally against the theme of justice that flows right the way through the the Old and New Testaments, and that concern for the most vulnerable. Uh, so, you know, I want to see us developing a theology that's that counteracts that, that talks hope, that talks shalom, that talks living in harmony with nature. And I've gone off the subject a bit. I haven't answered your question, have I? <laughs> i started preaching instead.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Keep preaching. That's good. No, it's all good. I mean, you are getting behind some of the, you know, theological reasons for your response. And and also, you know, my question was, like, who is, who is to blame for where things are at? Um, may, maybe you or maybe somebody else wants to continue that in talking about, like, okay, so if we take you know that theological call seriously. So, what does climate justice then look like? You know, does that just mean we need to get out of the oil industry? Does that mean we need to plant more trees? Like, like what, what would actually need to happen for us to turn this thing around?
5: Um, yeah, as as Mark was saying, there's a lot of structures that have been built that are upholding um, ways of being. Um, that are causing the climate crisis as well as many other related environmental um, issues that we're having. Um, And so there's a lot of structures and just the ordinary people are just living their lives in the way that we are able to live our lives and that's hurting the earth. (laughs) Um, And so um, in terms of what it looks like to change that, um, it's, it's not an individual thing to, to change it and to fix it. There is an individual level of it, but more importantly, we're talking about a collective, um, need to change the way we do things. Um, and so part of that I think is at a spiritual level. It's at a spiritual level of changing the way we as humans see ourselves in relation to the earth as we are relatives um, and part of creation. And so I've been part of a couple of classes um, that were really challenging our worldview of how we relate to the earth. And so many people in those classes who some of them described themselves as religious, others did not, but so many of them experienced a very spiritual um, shift in in the way that they thought about everything <laughs> um, and I've experienced that myself and that's how I got into to thinking about um, climate action was a very kind of spiritual transformation of how I saw myself in relation um, to the wider world and so I think it comes back to some of this extractivism uh, way of relating that that's a spiritual shift and that's where the church can play in is in that that spiritual realm. And then the other part of this is that we need collective action. And so that means at national levels, at international levels, um, and at community levels. Like, we don't have to wait for the government to take charge and do this. We need to be doing this as communities working together and calling on um, institutions that are larger of us to help us do this collective work.
3: And that's well said and I, if i could bring it on i don't think god's will is for some people to be very well off even to the point of of um absurd luxury and others to be so in need and suffering so much and and w- what's our answer as canadians to somebody in say africa i always pick africa but well i don't know you uh, well um yeah, well god may be rich so i guess i, I should appreciate that well, what about sharing uh i think i think that's what we lost right and and so yeah we we don't have any shame so we don't mind polluting and and, and destroying the forests and you know ignoring the first nations yeah it doesn't matter to us uh, i think that's yeah pretty harsh but i think that's the problem if we so loved the world, right? If, if we loved our brothers and sisters like Christ loved us, w- wouldn't we do something different? I, I think we would, I think we would. I, 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 and I'm, I'm putting myself there, this is, I, I've, I've missed it. I try to be a sincere Christian, but I don't think I really want to pay the price.
0: Let, let me just ask here, uh, you know, you, you asked Nelson, like, wouldn't we, like, if, if we loved our neighbor, wouldn't we do something different? Um, let me just throw out two things that I often hear uh, as kind of just arguments against like, um, yeah, against, against this whole thing, maybe, uh, uh, one of them being, well, people who don't trust the science <laughs> we've been in this pandemic long enough that we know, regardless of what the consensus is globally, there's people who will not trust the science or they have their own science that they, you know, somehow finding, um, so, what, what do you say to people who say, no, I I am doing my best to love my neighbor and I don't need to change because what you're the science that you're listening to is false. And so I don't need to do that. You know, it, the earth, is it is it warming? Is it not? Who knows? It's like it, it doesn't matter. That would be the one that I often hear. The other one is. Yeah, the world is changing. The world is going to go through a lot of uh, um, climate um, emergencies and and devastation, but it's all leading to the end times. So bring it on. You know, the world's going to burn up anyway. Uh, That just means Jesus is coming back. Mm How do you address those kinds of things? Uh, those kinds, uh, or have you ever come across that? You certainly
3: do. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had the the, the the words that would convert, right? Um, I could just say something and people would believe me. But I, I guess it comes down to one day we're all going to be standing in front of the Father, and we better have our theology correct, right? And we better have um, our hearing attuned to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Uh, it's a life and death situation for us um and uh, i don't know what i would say but i say yeah i mean it, it, the stakes are high right this the stakes are very high and and to um i think your argument about uh, you know um bring it on that kind of it, people have misunderstood what the bible is actually saying so they better read their bible um and yeah and i say yeah fine um if you're sincere, sincerely pray to the Father, what, what is your will? I, I'm willing to do anything. I'll surrender everything. Just what? I, I think God would, would honour that and, and guide you.
0: We're going to pause our conversation just for a moment to give away another great resource thanks to the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Centre. For this episode, we're giving away the book, A Good War, Mobilizing Canada for the Climate Emergency, by Seth Klein. If you would like to win a copy of this book, all you need to do is go to our Facebook page and like our page at The Meadowcast. It's that simple and you will be automatically entered to win a copy of this book. We want to give a special shout out to the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Centre and thank them for sponsoring this giveaway. You can find them at commonword.ca you can find tons of resources that go along with some of the greatest books so for example this book that we're giving away this episode a good war by seth klein if you go to the common word website and look up that book Not only can you buy it there, you can also borrow it, Uh, you can also buy the ebook, but then there's also a free study guide as well as a video of a a webinar which was put on uh, for this book. And it's this way for other resources as well on the Common Word website. So go to commonword.ca for thousands of resources and tons of resources specifically about the climate crisis. Let's get back to the conversation. If I could just pick up on what Mo- Moses
2: said about trusting the science, this is one thing I think about a lot here these days. Is is um, is that even a useful way to approach things anymore? I mean, especially these these last two years, um, I think that public trust has almost been decimated, if not shattered, by um, by the pandemic. We don't trust science, we don't trust the government, we don't trust media. We're all kind of our own little private arbiters of, of, of what's true now. Um, so how do we talk about this in, in meaningful ways that are, that are compelling in, in, a, in a context where trust is so fragile, if it even exists at all anymore? Is it even useful to say, just trust the science? I mean, Catherine Hayhoe she says it's not terribly even useful to talk about it that way anymore because it's, it's almost a non-starter. People will just hive off into their own little versions of facts. And, and even if we can agree on the facts, as one of my philosophy professors used to say, you can't get an ought from an is. And so, so even if we agree about the facts, we're not necessarily agreed on what to do about the facts. So I'm wondering, how, do, how does this conversation look? What's the best way to have it in a, in a context where trust seems so brittle right now?
4: Yeah, coming from next province over from you which has sadly uh copied some of the the more unpleasant characteristics I think. Um I think we have a lot to learn from what Catherine Hayho has to say in her book and I, I certainly would, would recommend people to to read that book. That working with people um you're know, finding the things you've got in common, find the things that really matter to them that you can identify with. And I mean, her view is, is, I mean, what she says in the book anyway, is that it's almost inevitable that you can find something that leads them into thinking about the climate crisis, that leads them to, to question the assumptions they've made. I mean, the other thing I would say is, you know, if you don't accept science with all its rigorous checks and balances, you know, it's not perfect, but it's the best thing that we got really for, for figuring out, you know, how the physical world works, um, what do you trust? And why do you trust it? And, you know, what what's behind that? And I think probably most people, if they're honest with themselves, um, will actually acknowledge, well, actually, it's something about my self interest. Mm. And that's true of all of us. That's, you know, I'm not pointing a finger without pointing it back at myself. Um, it's you know it's just that the nature of human beings that that we operate that way so i mean the question to me then is how do we deal with that culture of mistrust and that's a much bigger one than i think we can handle in this, this <laughs> yeah. discussion. But, uh, um, but it's sad that, that that you know you bring that up and I, I mean at the same time it seems that the vast majority of people in Canada now do accept the science, at, you know, at a, a, a mental level. Um, they, the big difficulty I see is actually the politicians who say they accept the science and then aren't prepared to take the actions that are commensurate with what the science is saying um, in terms of the impact on human beings and, and the rest of creation.
5: Well, and that's where I'd say I think a lot of um, society is at, is this like, okay, I like see it on some level, I understand the science, I, you know, we're in crisis, what the heck do I do? (laughs) What does Mm -hmm. that mean? And I think that's the place that the church has been in too. Um, I, you know, I I meet a lot of people, you know, um, have lots of creation care, worship services or or conversations, but it's it's how do we turn it into action? Um, and I think that was part of the hope behind um, these calls is to give some really practical ways that the church can really start engaging um, in climate action.
0: Mm. Well, well, let's get into that then. Um, these seven calls, you know, you are part of this group, this volunteer group who have given your time to, to call on Mennonite Church Canada to address climate, the climate crisis in a more practical way. Um, we can be real and talk about our church, even sometimes in critical ways. Would you see our churches either on a local level or on a regional and nationwide level as contributing to that? Is that part of what these seven calls are? Is there something about our church institution um, that... Needs to change, or is responsible for what's been happening?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think our our churches have contributed. Um, you know, they've also been uh, doing really excellent work to uh, work on the climate crisis. But similar to so many other areas of society, um, there's kind of a business as usual approach um, to addressing the climate crisis. And that part of the switch from talking about climate change to the climate crisis was to try to instill in people the fact that this is an emergency and thus we need to change the way we do things, right? We think about this pandemic was treated as an emergency and we felt that, like our world shifted, the way we lived shifted, Um, not in a lot of great ways. We can talk a lot about mishandling of the pandemic, You know, but it's also been part of what has helped um, address the pandemic and get us to where we are. Um, And so I think we need to start treating it as an emergency, even within our churches. And so that means looking at um, the way we are and how we need to change to address um, the climate crisis.
3: Now, i like to, uh, you know, I, I wasn't one of the authors uh, uh, of the original, the seven calls. but what, Why did I want to sign on to it is because I could imagine one of them, one of the calls was like action, right? The action is standing up at activism. And I just imagine we see our First Nations brothers and sisters out there. Uh, standing for, you know, protect the forest or, or prevent a pipeline or, or whatever the, the cause is. Something that's near and dear to their hearts. And I could just imagine the local church just getting up out of their pews on Sunday and standing with them. Just joining them. They don't have to do anything. Just, just get up, walk over and be there. It's not too hard to ask. But we don't have that rarely rarely we have that and, and just do that get to meet them um like james said visiting widows and orphans right just be there with them understand the issue and 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 uh well i, I think it go from there right your heart will be moved after that but we have to get out and that's, that's a call get out <laughs> speak truth all these things right
5: yeah. And, you know, we talk about the climate crisis at the pulpit. You know, you hear it in prayers, congregational prayers are all the time. But, you know, are we then, you know, hearing that prayer and acting on it? Are we going as a group from a congregation to talk to local politicians? Um, you know, I was. Um, hearing from politicians who are like, where are the faith communities coming into my office to tell me what they think about this? Um, And I think sometimes we forget that um, we have a voice to use in um, the larger civic um, things. And I think the thing is we don't have to all agree on every single point and exactly what to do. But if we as churches could use our voice and to say, hey, we think that this is an issue and we want to see some action on it. That's really powerful. I see
1: that. I mean, you've written these really powerful seven calls to action. And as I read through them, I was just very curious, like, where are they at in the process? Um, like, are some of them close to coming into action or, like, where is that process at at the moment?
4: That's a difficult one. Um... And it has to do with the structure of our church, that things are supposed to be done at the, do we call them districts or areas? I don't don't know. Regions. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, a lot of the work now is being done at that level. Uh, And, you know, there are things that can be done there. But there are also things that I think need to be done at the national level, which I think have been a little bit put on hold while we we build up that momentum at the regional level. Um, the executive ministers came up with a statement a couple of weeks ago, which is, you know, I mean, it's a good statement, but there's some things missing from it. I'd, I'd love to see more mm. in there about prayer and theological reflection and, um, and you know, worship that acknowledges emergency. I'd also love to see something very concrete in there about advocacy, because, you know, more than half of the emissions in this country are from industry, from places that we cannot address with with our personal discipleship. It's it's things that that have to be subject to to government regulations and, and legislation and, you know, even the things that we can affect a lot of that. We can only affect it if government gives us the the ability to affect it. Uh, So advocacy is is so absolutely vital and direct action when advocacy doesn't work, for that matter, um, to to address the crisis. Those things, I think we still need to do some more work on at both at at a a regional level and at at a national level. But, you know, there, there has been some progress, I, I think, you know, we have to, to acknowledge that the executive ministers took notice of, of what we'd said and they said something and they, you know, they called for some, some things that are, are important in terms of looking back at simple lifestyle, in terms of uh, where does our the church money, where's the church money invested, in terms of the impact on our young people who are going to have to live in, you know, so much further into this crisis than some of us will, um, and who worry about their future. And, you know, that issue of intergenerational justice is is vital. So, you know, there's progress, but we we want to push further.
5: Yeah, I mean, the, the hope, or at least my hope when I read it, I will say I was also not an author. I was asked to read a draft right before it came out, and that's kind of how I I became involved in it but um, you know my hope when reading this is I like I was like I just want to stir up conversations Mm and action so I'm so grateful you're having us on to talk about it and I hope that this can stir up more conversations within congregations and um, just people talking to each other and and really pushing us to to think about what we can do collectively right like you know, as Mennonite churches, we have all sorts of process and and due diligence about how we make official decisions and and do things. And I think that's all, you know, important. Um, And we also need to keep acting and keep talking and keep making movement wherever we can. And so the seven calls were, we're hoping to, to really make that push and say, hey, let's make this a priority. Let's make this a priority, not only in our conversations, but also in our actions. Because let's face it, the Mennonite have been having conversations around creation care for longer than I've been alive. Um, but I still need to see more action on it.
0: <laughs> for those who are interested and want to sign on to this group who have put forward these seven calls, all you need to do is go to their website at 7, the, the number 7, 7 calls. To climateaction.com and there you can see a bunch of different documents and the vision for this group and what they're actually calling our nationwide church to do. I think it's important just to hear at least the synopsis of these calls, you know, one being to tell the truth, uh, two to be create a climate emergency mobilization ministry with full-time staff and funding, um, to support indigenous land defenders, to support climate refugees and displaced people, and to do those two things with actual practical funds coming from our MC Canada budget. Um, The fifth is to affirm nonviolent civil disobedience. Number six is to divest from all fossil fuel connected investments. And number seven is to embrace conversion and accountability. So, you know, some of these very um, concrete calls to some of our church leaders. And as you said, Mark, you know some of them are moving ahead. some of them are taking longer than maybe hoped for. Um, but where do you see that you know someone like myself or someone just in our pews can jump into these calls? Like yes, you, you want people to you know sign on uh, to add their names and their voices uh, to, to this so that our leaders hear it. Uh, but where do you think people can actually jump into it themselves?
5: I mean, one thing to do is, you know, whichever region you're in is, is um, take a look at that region and who's um, already doing the work there. There's lots of sustainability groups that are part of um, that. And to reach out to them um, to see ways that you can get involved in what they're doing or to push them on what they're doing and say, hey, I think we need to be doing more. Here are some ideas I have or... I'd love to be part of conversations about what it is we can do. Um, you know, uh, reach out to the leadership at your own church. Are there people in your community that are also passionate about this thing? Can you connect with local organizations? Um, here in KW, there's been a faith climate justice movement that's kind of um, an interfaith and interdenominational movement. Um, people who are uh, want to see more action from faith groups who are getting together to um, create movement here locally. Um, there's lots of, lots of ways um, and people to get connected with. And that's the way that it's gonna happen is through connections and communities because what is really hard and impossible to do at a huge scale um, and what doesn't make an impact as an individual, like the community level is where you can really make some movement happen.
3: Well, just a quick add-on: you could also we could have a letter-writing campaign. As boring as that sounds, <laughs> but it, I, I imagine imagine the prime minister or Minister Gabo or somebody getting receiving a letter from every Mennonite in Canada. You know, dear Honorable Prime Minister, uh, we think climate change is utterly important, and you need to do everything you can uh, in your power to to um, you know address it quickly including you know moving off of fossil fuels and uh we'll we're right behind you all the way but if you will not we'll find someone who is and behind and we will be behind that person all the way too
2: yeah.
3: that kind of letter polite uh but to the point uh, will uh we'll let politicians know wow my constituents care about this so all it takes. How long would it take to send that letter? It's not very long. Pretty easy to do. And we just need to do it together.
1: When I when I think of our church, I think getting together to do things. I'm thinking ahead of our um, gathering this summer in Alberta. And I'm thinking about all of the Mennonites who will be traveling, who will be flying. Is that, and like the lodging and, and whatever. And is that something we as a church should be thinking about? Like, should we not be flying? Should we be doing these things online? Like, is that something that you're thinking about when you're thinking about these calls to action? Obviously those are like bigger and more widespread and more um, larger, but I'm just thinking of that simple thing of the travel.
4: We face this all the time in MCC and we've, you know, obviously COVID has forced us to use Zoom a lot more and personal contact and personal travel a lot less. And... I think to some extent that's a permanent thing because you know we're aware that we can make it work um so it's it's a difficult one because sometimes you do need to see people in person um but that's all the more reason for advocacy towards a decent rail system across canada for example um (laughs) electrified Run on, on sustainable, renewable energy, um, wouldn't that be great? You know, that there's, there's so much that we should be advocating for, I think, that, that will ease off some of those difficulties. Um, but in the end, you know, we also have to look to our own personal consumption habits.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, that's an excellent example of the bind that individuals find ourselves in in every area of life. It's like I'm really limited in the options that I have and a lot of them um, are part of the problem. And so part of the collective action that um, we're hoping to happen is to actually change the system so that we have more options and so that we have options that are not as harmful.
0: My, My final question I'm going to address to each of you I, I I, know that in these conversations, things can often seem dire because they are dire uh, and it can often be hard to find hope. And and so I wonder if you could give a short message. I'm going to ask each of you to give one to different groups. Nelson, I'll start with you. I'm thinking of those people who are working in industries, um, uh, fossil fuel industries or industries that are um, seen as harming uh, our planet and and don't know what to do about that because their livelihood is tied to it. And they might want to change, but they don't know how or how that's possible. Uh, what message would you have to people within our churches um, who are in that kind of situation?
3: The fossil fuel industry employs uh, about one third of the jobs for every million dollars that the renewable energy industry would employ so there's there's gonna be three times as many jobs in the renewable industry for the equivalent amount of um, of dollar invested and even the equivalent amount of energy there's more jobs and so there's opportunities this is um, a lot of people in the oil industry are like um pioneers or uh uh uh, creative They, they, they they uh Um, appreciate the creativeness in their business well that whole this this whole industry has to be reinvented so great opportunity for those um, uh, pioneers to to change it Um, the the biggest value of an oil and gas company is not in their oil and gas reserves but in their ingenuity their people their management of of, of risk-taking ability their their processes that's their greatest asset they need to take it and it could be whether it's exploiting oil and gas or exploiting sun and wind uh it's just a choice they don't you know there's a bit of a change you, you don't know what you don't know so you, you, there's a learning curve but with that um, entrepreneurial spirit the challenges i can do you know that, that can do spirit yeah they're perfectly suited to change what what they what they uh, are doing now They could be our energy providers of the future, clean, cleaner energy providers: solar, wind, geothermal, water, uh, batteries, and whatnot.
0: Mm. Thanks, Nelson. Appreciate that. Mark, I'll move to you. The grouping I've got in mind for you uh, are the the leaders within our churches, right? Leaders who are kind of given the role and the position to mobilize, to engage uh, the people in the pew and people who might be just thinking like, this is too big of a thing for us to tackle. Like we're just trying to put on worship services and youth groups and, and all of that. Uh, what message might you have for them, for for those leaders in our churches who are maybe tired or don't know quite how to engage, but yet feel some responsibility to, to move forward in this for the sake of the church?
4: I would suggest a few things. I mean, one is to organize prayer about the crisis um, and prayer, which is informed by the best recent scientific information. And so obviously that has to be tied to education. And I think we need more materials. We've got some good materials on creation care, but I think we need some, some more detailed materials specifically on the climate crisis uh, to inform that prayer and to inform people's thinking um, as they, address the crisis. Uh, I would add to that, you know, as you learn about it, it has an emotional impact on you. It hurts. It really does hurt. And, you know, a lot of us who've been in in this have gazed into the abyss for years. Um, and we need resources to deal with that. And, you know, those resources come through the Holy Spirit. We need to trust in God that, um, Whatever it looks like, and it looks pretty awful. You know, God ultimately has the answer. That you know, Jesus did not come in vain. Jesus came with a purpose to ultimately bring a new creation. That I see as as um, the re- the restoration of the creation that that God originally intended. Um, so, hold on to that hope but also have time with counselors to to enable people to deal with the grief and the anxiety and the guilt and the everything else that that they're going to be feeling as they address this one and mobilize people to act one of the things that has really helped me to avoid depression as I get into the, gaze into the abyss, is to work with other people to try to make change. And, you know, even if our actions are appear to be ineffective at the time, um, at least they enable us to keep going. <laughs> I'm not saying take action just to keep going, but um, but those actions can really help. You know, just having a meeting where you talk about it Helps a lot less than being able to, you know, write letters to your MPs, write letters to the government, um, go to your local bank um, and, you know, tell them what you want them to do. All those types of things. And, yeah, we need to stop being quiet in the land. We need to be, you know, like the early Anabaptists were, the, the noisy mm. prob- problem <laughs> creating people in the land. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. A- and Katie, um, I'm thinking of uh, thinking of our young people, thinking of young people who, uh, for the most part, as at least that I have seen, have been on the forefront uh, of this, uh, and have been calling um, on those who are more, you know, more experienced in life, to to do something for the sake of their own future. And I and, and I hear so often people who. Either are, um, yeah, feel hopeless about their own future and therefore are in fear of, of what that means in terms of even, um, you know, building up their lives and, or starting families, things like that. Uh, or also that asking whether or not it's irresponsible to do so, right? Like, how does building up my life as a young person either add or uh, uh, add to the problem? Right. So, you know, what message of hope do you have for our young people who are maybe having those thoughts um, or just wondering about the hopelessness of, of this?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to echo that um, concern and fear. I, I hear it all over my my peer groups is uh, often in like very sarcastic ways, like, well, it doesn't really matter what happens because then, you know, 20 years we will be in the middle of the water wars. Um and so I, I want to echo that, like deep, um, kind of fear about what is what is coming for our lives. Um, and the hope I want to want to offer is what's given me hope, and that is that reading um, people's visions of what addressing the climate crisis looks like is also addressing a lot of the other um, injustices and sufferings. Um, that we're facing right there's the climate crisis is one of the reasons that um, a lot of people have fear for their future but it's also the housing crisis and how affordable life is and so many um, inequalities across gendered and racial lines right and and reading people's visions of how we can work for solutions that are working on all of these things has given me hope um, that you know maybe it feels like all of the things are overlapped and really complex to fix, but maybe our solutions um, are also just as complex and are able to address it all. And that gives me hope. Um, yeah, and reading those visions and, and then acting to help move those visions forward.
0: Awesome. Well, I we wanna thank you, all three of you, for joining us today, for chatting and sharing. Uh, what you've been up to and how you have been engaging and challenging our churches. I uh, really appreciate the work you're doing um, and appreciate you sharing that with us. Mhm thanks. Well, thank you so much thank for
3: the us. opportunity. Yep. Pastor yeah, Pastor Moses and yeah. Ryan and Carrie. Yeah,
4: thanks to all of you.
0: Thanks yep. to all of you. It was nice to meet you all. It was a it was really interesting chatting with them and and hearing about the work they're doing especially since um you know, I I saw this this group kind of being formed, and then I saw like the statements they put out, and I thought, wow, this is like really big stuff. And you know, I signed on to it, and encouraged some other people to sign on to it as well, if that you know they felt, um, yeah, if they felt called to. Uh, but it, it seemed like really big things that if you know our churches actually implemented them w- would make a big difference. Um, and then I thought about like, you know, like I I haven't really thought much about that myself though too you know and, and and I'm just leaving this conversation I don't know maybe I feel guilty often in these conversations because mm-hmm. I haven't done my own work right like I haven't really addressed my investments and like things like that and uh, and feel like man I, I really need to get on that I don't know how how are you leaving this conversation feeling <laughs> Yeah, a
1: little overwhelmed, I guess. You know, there's often that feeling of guilt around the discussion of climate change and, and the layer of being a church pastor, a church leader, definitely lays another one on thick, right? Like, you read those calls yeah. to action, and it's kind of like, why not? Why why wouldn't we do them? But we get, I don't know, buried in systematic process and and this, but, like, I don't know... As an Anabaptist, reading that, you would say, oh, hold on, hold on. Like, I don't want to do that call to action.
2: For me, it's always uh, it's always interesting to think about, you know, what's the what's the best next step? I mean, I think most of us, if, if I look to the future my kids are going to be living in, I would love for that, that kind of, that, that train across Canada that would be available to them using renewable energy and, and this vision where we're not so dependent on oil and gas, um, yeah. as a as a long-term goal that sounds amazing but i always wonder what do we do in the meantime like we're as we record this podcast we're five days into a war in the ukraine and and all of a sudden yeah. the world is starting to realize we don't want to buy russian oil anymore and and canada mm. could could theoretically step into that gap and and provide more ethically produced oil than certainly russia and saudi arabia um so what in the in the in between time, in the transitional stage between now and whatever we're working towards, um, what what are the best next steps? What are the like? It, it doesn't make sense to just divest f- from fossil fuels right now. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, no. I'll confess that as an Albertan, well, I, I, I do sometimes get a bit defensive when when it's just the dumping mm-hmm. ground for everybody across Canada when everyone's using our when everyone's using fuel to drive their cars and heat their homes and um, right. so. <laughs> That, that doesn't always feel awesome to feel like you're the, you're the kind of whipping boy of, of confederation here. <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> because I, I look around and, and I see, you know, we have vast geography. We have a cold climate. We, we need to stay warm and move around um, at least somewhat. And the, the, the products that we, can, that we use, our laptops, everything we use is, is made in some way or another, but it's connected to, the, to energy sources that are not renewable right now. And so in the meantime, what do we do? Does it it make sense just to say we're going to get rid of it all? It's all bad, or do we have some kind of transitional stages where we acknowledge what we're moving towards, but we still uh, try to stay in dialogue with with the the things we need right now, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, and I like what they said a little bit about, like, what I was understanding. It's not just don't do this but like find another way a better way but that still doesn't answer the question of like what is that next step i mean i'm always kind of like okay so if i buy an electric car (laughs) then what (laughs) like like for me boys, like that's like the step hanging above me that i can't quite do yet but
2: well and we have people that have done that in our church and uh, and it's great but but those 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 cars right now they'll get better i'm sure but right now they can't get to calgary with an electric car If they need to to go to Calgary, it doesn't have enough. The batteries don't last long enough. So, or the yeah, the charge doesn't last long enough. So, we have vast geography. We have a cold climate. We have these things that we need energy for. um, Unless we're all going to go back to living in huts and using fires, which I don't imagine will happen. Why not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know, part of me is grateful though that there are people that are doing this work, even though I haven't been at the forefront of it. Um, but doing work that invites people to participate like this group, right, is is putting forward these calls, which can make a really big difference. And just asking us to sign on like it took me two seconds yeah. just to you know put my name and email. And then it's like, hey, I'm adding my voice to this, that this is important, even though I might not know what the like, I don't know what the next step is for for the church to live into this or even for myself. Yeah. You know, we have a car and we heat our house with gas and like all these things um, so I don't know necessarily know the next step but there are people working at it um, which I'm very yeah. thankful for um,
2: yeah I think I, yeah. I think
0: the, the big picture I
2: mean I, I preached a sermon just last Sunday about 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 this issue and you know I th- I one of the things I said in the sermon was that Christians are or you know people who believe in, in a creator God we have the best reasons to be to be um, concerned about climate, about the climate crisis, of anybody, we we um, and it's not scientific, it's not political, it's it's theological. We believe that God made a good world, and that we and that we are called to care for it. Um, we should have the best reasons of anybody that, that shouldn't just reduce to self-interest. It should re, it should be much bigger than that. Um, and what the specifics look like, what the timeline looks like, what the best steps at each stage are, we don't necessarily know, and we have to talk about that, and we won't always agree. But the the, the macro picture of of image bearers of God caring for the world that God has made. we should of all people have the best theological, philosophical, ideological grounding for it of anybody.
1: And that applies across the issues as you might call them, which not to use the word overwhelming again, but it's overwhelming again. like we have the best reasons and the best theology to to care for people across the world, to care for the climate, to, do to care that a war would cease, um, and then it's like whoa, like where do we put our put our resources and our time? Like it's kind of like choosing a place to donate mm. money. You're like there are endless good options to yeah. to work at.
0: It you know they they were talking too about who who is it that bears the brunt of the climate emergency, and I think about that again too. Is like yeah we like that's it's all in our theology. You know, how do we care for the least and those who are suffering and oppressed, uh, those who are strangers in the land? Like all these things are 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 part of what we believe. Ryan, I'm wondering if you've been listening to uh, or been watching Frozen 2 um, a lot. The movie? Yeah, his
1: Are you, kids aren't that
0: little.
2: Too, well, maybe he is. My wanting. kids still like. Well, my daughter still. My daughter still likes that, but
0: I have not seen Frozen Two yet. No, because as you were talking about, the, that's this one thing. It's, uh, a family in our church—they've been all about Frozen Two—and um, recently brought up that one of one of the themes, or one of the even the songs in that movie, is to do the next right thing, mm-hmm. right when you don't know what to do. Uh, and I think in the movie, I don't know if it's like there's some kind of fog and they're trying to find their way through or something like that, and they just do the next right thing and there's yeah, this whole theme about it in the movie, but it just uh, reminded me um of that and what what we've been talking about, like what is that next thing and and uh, I don't know like do, do you have any grasp of that what that might be for you, like just that next right step?
2: Oh, boy. It's a good question, Moses. I I I I very easily slide into paralysis as well. Like there's there's so many competing interests and options, and I can I often find myself being able to understand both sides of an issue very well. And and I and I can, you know, I I, I do emphasize empathize with the 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 but both like to use the example from northern Alberta. There's indigenous people who are pro pipeline and and who are who are protesting the the pipelines. And and I and i can I can understand both of their arguments we want a, we want a living wage we want our kids to be lifted out of poverty we, we we want to we want our our we want to flourish in the way that you all have been doing it for hundreds of years um why should this be blocked to us I and mean, i also understand the the other side and so um it, it's so hard to know what the next right thing is when 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 you can find good and right things in multiple perspectives and i think this is the challenge of not just the issue of climate change, but so many issues in our, in our time that polarize people and divide people is that we often make the, the best, the enemy of the good.
1: Well, I mean, I think one of the next right things is to get that song in the hymnal. <laughs> uh, and then after doing that, um, uh-huh. I, I think more in simplistic terms, I was just pondering like to live like my grandparents did, which isn't really possible mm. in this time in society, but uh, one set of my grandparents were Mennonite and frugal and careful, and they wouldn't even name themselves as environmentalists or good stewards of the earth, but they were, like, they just didn't waste anything, and everything got reused, and my grandmother would find, like, clothes or a mitten or a pair of socks, like, on the road, like, dirty, and she would take it home, and she would wash it till it was clean and then redonate it to the MCC thrift store, and then, you know, the money of the proceeds from those socks which seems kind of gross go to mcc to make a difference in the world and like just this way of like just like not wasting anything Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. recycling and using and like loving the earth through that i think like if we could all get a little closer to that like maybe a big difference could be made
2: we were in uh i was on an mcc learning tour in palestine a few years ago and every morning i would talk to the the host there and, and he lived in a refugee camp in bethlehem and uh And every morning I would see him after all the touristy groups had left, he would be gathering the food on the plates and he would, I asked him what he was doing and he said that he was going back to, he he would bring the food back and share it with the people in his camp because it was a sin to waste Mm -hmm. food and that never left wow. me and i've kind of my, my kids will tell me that i'm kind of on a crusade right now to to stop wasting food in our house and uh <laughs> use it all up put it in i don't know make a stir fry or make fried rice or yeah. something but but we're like like i actually think there's so there's so much truth in what you said carrie about how our grandparents lived my grandparents were the same wasting was a sin and they called it that mm-hmm. and i think if we actually could recover some of that not just with food but with just the the way we live more broadly, we we were such consumptive creatures. Um, if we could dial that back a bit and move back to actually thinking about waste as a sin and not just something oh well it's too bad we did it this time, but something it's actually important and and it matters and it and it it it, it betrays a whole philosophy of of life that we're losing.
0: Um, to, to me, I would say I just have this nudging within me that you know like we're asking all these we're like we're asking our churches and our um, nationwide church like to think about where their money is invested in. And, and I haven't done that part. And I know it's not going to be that hard to look into it and to realize, oh, I probably have some of my investments in fossil fuels. So what do I do with that? Like I, To me, that's just been nudging at me. Uh, so maybe next episode, you can ask me if I actually did that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Because it's been nudging at me for a while and I still haven't done it. <laughs>
1: And then we can ask Ryan how many weird stir fries he's eaten from the depths of
0: his fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I thought they just called those like yeah, dad stir fries something like or dad yeah. soup. You just throw everything <laughs> into the pot. Well, that, there's actually a bunch of Mennonite <laughs> dishes. I'm
2: pretty sure that's how they originated, right? Like you just dump whatever, dump whatever you have in a pot and <laughs> call it a meal. I'm pretty
0: sure that's got to be how Borscht started. <laughs> right. I'm sure everyone can think of like one step. Um, towards a better world a more just world uh, a world that looks more like you know the the, the kingdom of shalom that um, god created it to be um, and, and maybe that's a good place to start absolutely yeah great i want to thank you for listening to the MenoCast. cast you can find us at themenocast.com listen to episodes on our website or wherever you find your podcasts leave us a review if you liked what you heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the MenoCast. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at TheMetalCast at gmail.com. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick, for another great conversation. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.